And as you've probably been aware now, we've, as we've been going through Revelation, there's quite a lot of um, con contentious. That means people have different views on, on a lot of the passages here in Revelation. And this is probably one of the most contentious passages, one where good people disagree. Okay, so we're heading right into the, the center of, of, of the controversy, shall we say. Um, we'll ho we'll hopefully it won't be too controversial, but um, we are, we are uh, looking at Revelation 19, verse 11 onwards. As I said, the, the backdrop of this is we've just looked at Babylon, the world system, the world system. So the way the world works, the, the way it's run, the governments, how they set themselves up against God, they are ultimately going to be de destroyed. And now this, is, this follows on from that. <clears throat> Verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Children, do any of you know who this person is? His name is the Word of God. His clothes was robed and dipped in blood. And he has many crowns and his eyes like a flame of fire. Can any of you guess who it is? Okay, keep, keep listening. So, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, with it, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his tie a name written, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, can you guess who this person is? No? Girls in the back, can you guess? Rhoda, Miriam, can you guess? Who is this person? Fionn? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. That's right. Always, you know, if you're in Sunday school and you're not sure what the answer is, Jesus is usually a good answer. <laughs> in this case, you're right. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse, and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, 
by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed is he, and holy is he, who is part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Now when the thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, was, ca was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. <coughs> and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. The net death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, quite a dramatic passage and for many people, it's, it's, it can be quite difficult to understand because there's a lot of imagery. And I know uh, the boys and girls have been, been studying Revelation, haven't you, in, in your Sunday school? So you might have some idea. You might have heard of some things. You might have heard of the beast or the mark of the beast or the dragon. Did you study that? You did, okay. So you're familiar with, with those images. But essentially what we're coming to is the final um, reckoning. 
the final reckoning of God with his enemies. Those who have opposed God. And this is the scene, and these are the events surrounding what will happen in the end. <clears throat> Remember, this book was written firstly to the church, the persecuted church, those whose lives were being um, persecuted because they believed in Jesus, they followed Jesus, and some, in some cases, those who were being martyred, those who were being killed, murdered for what they believed. And for them, it was probably a time of great discouragement because they decided to follow Jesus and all they were getting was trouble. Trouble and more trouble. And the book of Revelation is written to them, and it's written to us as well, but it was written to them primarily as an encouragement that even though they're going through troubles and even though they're going through trials, the end of all things has been set. God is in control of the whole of history from the, from the first day of history right until the end. God knows what's going to happen and ultimately God is going to bring justice to the earth. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he came as a uh, the Messiah, but he, uh, he became as a, as, a, as a suffering servant. He came in to die. And when Jesus returns next time, he's coming on a white horse, triumphant. And he will rule. He came first with mercy, to have mercy on all of us. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. He's coming on the white horse. And this is what this passage is all about. He's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there's some very unusual images um, like all the birds eating the flesh of the kings the mighty men and the flesh of the horses it's very strange images the images actually come again from the Old Testament again if you know your Old Testament you have a better understanding of the New Testament but it, it, it is an image of the final judgment of God on those who oppose God. Let me talk briefly about the, the thousand years before we move on. The, the thousand years is known. Does anyone know another word for the thousand years? That's it, Kathleen. Millennium. The millennium. Okay? We all remember the millennium bug. If you're old enough to remember the millennium bug in the year 2000. Um, I worked for a company and we did, we did some work. A lot of companies made a lot of money because pe people thought, you know, planes were going to fall out of the sky at the millennium because of the, the computer was, was all wrong. And of course, nothing happened. But a lot of companies made a lot of money out of the millennium bug. And a lot of people have made a lot of money 
writing about this, about the millennium. But it talks here about a thousand years. And some people think this thousand years is literal thousand years. I mean, it means actually it is what it says. It's a thousand years. Other people think it's uh, symbolic of a, of a long time. Okay? So I'm not going to dwell on this too much. Um, but what I will say... <clears throat> When you're reading your Bible, there's a couple of things you need to do. First of all, you need to read it and say, what does it say? The plain understanding, what does it say? Okay? And it certainly says a thousand years. But you also need to understand it in the context of the rest of Scripture. So when you interpret the Bible, you look at this and go, does this make sense in the light of the rest of Scripture? In the rest of the Bible. And that's an open question, okay, in terms of whether it should be an actual thousand years or, or, or a, a symbolic thousand years. Certainly, we don't see any other reference to a thousand years reign in the Bible, okay? <clears throat> Does that mean it's not a thousand years? No, it doesn't. Okay, but it does <coughs> make us pause and go, okay, what, what does it mean? Now we do know, for example, from, uh, from the book of uh, Zechariah, that Jesus will reign on the earth. Hey, Jesus will come and reign on the earth. We also know, and I'll turn to it now, in, Hebrews chapter 10. This man, in verse 12, says, This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So we know that even though Jesus sacrificed, made a sacrifice on the cross, he has not yet made his enemies his footstool. So there is a time coming when that will be complete, when basically Jesus will have total dominion over all his enemies. So if we look at the world today, we can see, we can see quite clearly that sin still has dominion. Death still has dominion. It doesn't have total dominion course because Jesus died he's given us new life but it does have a certain level of dominion if we look at 1st Corinthians chapter 15 <clears throat> verse 24 says then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Okay? So there is a process starting at the, from the cross where Jesus will put all his enemies under his feet. That hasn't happened yet. Even though we think it has, it actually hasn't happened yet in, in 
totality. Okay. So there's a case when you look at the thousand years, you think, well, maybe it's a thousand year period, the millennium, when this, when Jesus is reigning on the earth, that he will put all enemies under his feet. And certainly that is one way of interpreting this passage. How and ever. Um, we also have to consider other things. It talks about the first resurrection. The first resurrection of those who did not take the image, the, mar the, the, the mark of the beast, did not worship the image, who were uh, beheaded for their witness. They will be in the first resurrection. And then everyone else will be resurrected at the end of the thousand years. Now, that doesn't seem to have any parallel in the rest of scripture. If you look what Jesus, when Jesus talks about uh, the day of judgment, uh, both those who are righteous and unrighteous are judged at the same time, the sheep and the goats, for example. There's another question about it, which is, <clears throat> we have this, this, this nation, Gog and Magog. Some people say that like, Gog was the leader and Magog was the place that Gog came from, if that makes sense. So Gog was the leader of a certain land. They, back in the day, it was, it was north of Israel. Um, that Gog and Magog would come in this big battle. There would be a big battle at the very end, okay? And it would come, they would come in force against Jerusalem. Now the interesting thing about that is we have Satan deceiving the world. After being in prison for a thousand years, he's deceiving the world um, and, and gathering the forces like the sand of the sea to Jerusalem. So the question there is, who are all these people, <laughs> right? Because if Jesus had already come a thousand years ago, where are all these people coming from? Are they, then are they Christians who have fallen away? Who are they? Okay. So, all I would say to you is, it's not clear that this is a literal thousand years. It may be that it is. It may be that it isn't. Okay? But certainly, for those who take the view that it is a thousand years, they've some explaining to do. And for those who say it's not a little thousand years, they've some explaining to do as well. Okay? So all I would say to you is I would encourage you, read your word. Be like the Bereans. Study the scripture. Someone came up to me, um, or it spoke to me during the week about something I, I'd spoken about in Revelation about the trumpets and uh, saying, you know, they were looking it up and they were given, a, you know, a, an opinion on it. And it was great. It was great that they weren't just taking what I said as gospel, that they were, they were studying the scripture. So I encourage you for a passage like this, study the word of God. It's amazing, again, as I said, how much, how much division has been caused in the church over something that is far from clear.
far from clear. And it's something that actually won't be taking place if it does happen, literally, for at least a thousand years. All right? So I'll leave it on that. What I do want to, to emphasize, though, is that this is talking about the final reckoning where Jesus will put all his enemies under his feet. So we see this, the world system, Babylon, under the feet of Jesus. Gone, destroyed. We see um, the false prophet. We see the beast. We see the dragon. And finally, after a thousand years, we see death itself. The final enemy being cast, death and Hades being cast into the lake of fire. We see Jesus ruling with a rod of iron and a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This is not necessarily some physical battle. The sharp double-edged sword, we know, represents the word of God. The power and authority of the word of God will vanquish the foe. That is a great lesson for us. We need to know the word of God. If our, 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 our battle is not against flesh and blood but against powers, against principalities, against spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Jesus is vanquishing, he is extinguishing his enemies with a double-edged sword that's coming out of his mouth. It is the word of God. He gives us that same sword if we want to use it. Verse 23 of, of chapter 7 in Daniel says, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trampled, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns of ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them, he shall be different from the first ones and subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change the times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. There's a very disputed passage. Again, some people mean, think it means three and a half years. We don't know. But the saints will be given into that. This is the, the, the beast, the Antichrist. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all his domin dominions shall serve, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So whether there's a literal thousand years or not, we know ultimately 
that he is going to establish an everlasting kingdom. And the saints will reign with him forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. We know that this world and all the, the corruption in this world, all the sin, all the, um, the persecution of Christians, whether it's physical or it's mental or whatever type of persecution, it is going to come to an end. And Jesus is going to set up a kingdom that will reign forever and the saints will reign with him. Amen. Amen and amen. So what are we to take from all this? The first thing we should take is Jesus has said very clearly that we are going to be persecuted. We've said this before. He said there is going to be a great tribulation of the saints and then the end will come. You can read that in the Gospels, Luke, Mark and Matthew, the Olivet Discourse. It is going to happen. It's going to get worse. The, the scripture says the love of many will grow cold. People will be lovers of themselves. There will be scoffers saying, where is the promise of his coming? And all these things we see happening more and more. In 1 Peter, he, uh, Peter writes and he says, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all, all things is at hand. And we see that. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago. He said the end of all things is at hand. How much more is the end of all things at hand now? So the first thing we need to know is there is going to be an increase in anti-Christianity, shall we say, anti-Christian sentiment, persecution. Praise the Lord for that song that we sang. Fear not, do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you, I am with you. Do not be afraid, I have redeemed you, I am with you. And one day, I am going to restore all things. I will restore all things. That's the first thing we need to know, is that there is going to be persecution. But the second thing we know is that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And he is coming back soon. He is coming back for his bride. He is coming back soon. We need to be encouraged. This, what we see now, what we are experiencing now, is not going to last. It is not going to last. There's a phenomenon in work at the mo in, in, in the world of work at the moment, post-COVID, and it's called, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. So a lot of people now who've been in their jobs, maybe for a few years, a bit tired of their jobs, but because of all the remote working, they, um, they don't have to go into the office as much, and it's not as, they're not as visible in the office. And they're kind of just, they're not quitting. They're not handing in their resignation. But they're just, they're not, due, they're not doing as much work. And they're kind of just, you know, marking time, waiting for their, 
their, their, their pension to come. Quiet quitting. It can happen to us as believers as well. We can go, okay. One reaction is, okay, this world is getting tougher now. I'm just going to keep my head down, keep my head down until the Lord comes back and have my, my spiritual pension, if you like, when the Lord comes back. That is not why, that is not why Revelation was written. Okay? And anywhere that we see, anywhere that we see um, discussion or scripture talking about the end times in the New Testament, there is almost always, almost always, a encouragement. And here's a word for you kids, an exhortation. Do you know what an exhortation is? It's basically when your parents say, okay now, good boy, good girl, you go up and do your, do, uh, clean, your, clean your room, okay? Get your room ready. We all need to get our rooms ready, okay? The rooms of our heart. We need the rooms of our heart tidied, okay? Because the Lord is coming back. You know, this morning, it was about five o'clock this morning, I couldn't sleep and, and uh, I got up and, uh, and I was, I said, I go down. When I can't sleep, what I usually do, I go down and I, and I pray. I feel it's God saying, okay, Ron, you just need to go down and pray. So I went downstairs and I was praying and I came up about quarter to six and Audrey was in bed. Said, Who's that? Who's that? Who is it? Who is it? And, <laughs> The light was off. I said, it's okay, it's only me, it's only me. And her heart was beating. She thought it was a thief. <laughs> she, she was surprised. She thought it was a thief. But the Bible says that Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. He is coming like a thief in the night. And we're not to be, we're to be ready. We're not to be surprised when he comes. So what are we to do? What are we to do? given that we know the world is going to get worse, given that we know that Jesus is coming back, Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. That even includes in your own family. Be kind to your family members, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers, your daughters, your sons. Be kind to each other. Okay? As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Now where did we hear that today? Okay? The Lord, I believe the Lord wants to say to us, God has given you a gift. He has given you a gift. Whether you're an adult or a kid, he has given you a gift and he wants you to use it for his glory. He doesn't want you to be afraid. He doesn't want you to be afraid that you're going to fail or afraid what people think. Jesus, when he was talking, about the end times, he gave the parable of the talents. And we know in the parable of the talents, 
One person was given 10 talents, another person was given five, and I think another person was given two, and one person was given one. And each of them went and used their talent, except the person who was given one. Why? Because they were afraid. And they weren't even, af they weren't even afraid of, of other people. They were afraid of their master. God has given you a talent. He has given you a talent. And he wants you to use this talent for his glory, for his kingdom. And at this time, at this time, when Peter wrote, he said, the end of all things is at hand in 1 Peter. That was a thousand years ago. In 2 Peter, people were saying, hang on a second. You said the end, you said Jesus is coming back. Where is he? Where is he? Where is the promise of his coming? Do not forget that the Lord, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The reason that Jesus has not come back, has not put everything under his feet, Jesus could do that tomorrow. He could have done it a thousand years ago. The reason he has not put all his enemies under his feet, he has already won the victory on the cross. Jesus has won the victory on the cross. He has already defeated death by rising again. The reason he has not put, everything has not been put under his feet and he has not given the kingdom to the Father, why? Why? Why hasn't he done it? Because he is long-suffering. He is patient. He wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And he has put us here on earth to use our gifts to build his kingdom now on earth, to build his kingdom that others will come to know Jesus in these days. Others will come to repentance in these days. I want to hear when Jesus comes back. Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear. Go on. Go on, go on in, go on. You know, I'll go on. I'll let you. You know when the, you've no money on the, for the fare on the bus. Go on. You know. I want to hear good, well done, good and faithful servant. We only have a short time. Jesus is coming back. And he wants you to use your talent for his glory to bring many to repentance. He has won the victory. He is going to put everything under his feet. Everything. Jesus is coming back. Let's be encouraged. You couldn't get a song up again, could you, Simon? No. <laughs> well, maybe when you go home, get that song out again. Uh, fear not. Do not be afraid. And sing it.
Sing it like you believe it. Sing it as a prayer that whatever God has called you to do, that you will step out and do it. And if you don't know what that is, if you don't know what that is, seek his face while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Amen. Father, the end of all things is at hand. And Lord, we want to be serious and we want to be watchful in prayer, Lord. And Lord, it's very hard when there's so many distractions around, so many cares of the world, Father. But I pray, Father, for everyone here that you will help them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, not to be afraid, but to look to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Jesus' name. Amen.